Well, thank you so much, worship team. Uh, we appreciate uh, all of you guys and gals and everybody who's been uh, worshiping and leading us in worship, and we thank you for that. Well, do me a favor and uh, turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 20. 2 Kings chapter 20. Now, one of the things you're going to want to do tonight, <laughs> you really want to do this, is make sure you have your list of the kings. Uh, your list of the kings. It's going to make everything much easier for you if you follow along with the kings of Israel and the kings of Judah. Although, we have passed the point of the story in uh, the book of Kings in which the northern kingdom, or Samaria, has fallen in 722 B.C. to the Assyrians. And therefore, uh, we're not going to, for the rest of the book of Kings, talk about any kings of the northern tribe. And yet, uh, we're going to finish out. We still have several kings of the southern tribe of Judah uh, to go through. And uh, when we uh, meet up tonight, as we start tonight, we're going to be starting with a man named Hezekiah, or a king named Hezekiah, king of the southern kingdom of Judah. Now, what's happened? Do you remember this? Because of Israel's sin, the northern kingdom, God sent the Assyrians, or used the Assyrians, as a tool of judgment against the northern kingdom. And uh, last week, or the last couple of weeks, we've seen uh, that uh, the northern kingdom was carried captive, chapter 17 of 2 Kings, into Assyria. And after that, about 20 years or so after that, in around 701 BC, we see uh, that those same armies, those same kings, come down and threaten Jerusalem in the southern kingdom. I hope everybody's following. And the reason I hope you're following is because <clears throat> this is such an important piece of the scriptures. You're going to see how important it is tonight because it's repeated twice. Actually, it's repeated three times in three different books. Three times in three different books. Uh, it must be important. And what happened was, is uh, the enemy came down into the area of Ju Jerusalem. In fact, we have found some extra-biblical sources that say uh, that the enemy conquered 46 cities. 46 cities in the kingdom, or the southern kingdom of Judah, and got right down to the walls of Jerusalem. Do you remember this? And the enemy uh, set out uh, its cabinet members, it, uh, its cabinet members, to go right up to the walls of uh, Jerusalem and threaten King Hezekiah and his people, as well as the people of Judah. And miraculously, miraculously, they, uh, Israel or Judah was delivered. You remember this? When we finished up last time in Second Kings in chapter 19, it said this in verse 35. 2 Kings 19, verse 35. And it came to pass on a certain night that the angel of the Lord went out and killed in the camp of the Assyrians, the enemy, 185,000. And when people arose early in the morning, there were the corpses all dead. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and went away, returned home, and remained at Nineveh. 
Now it came to pass, etc., etc. And why I'm telling you that is that's where we pick up in the story. That's where we pick up in the story. So let me do this. <clears throat> let me read a little bit here of uh, chapter 20, 2 Kings chapter 20. And uh, we will pray again and ask the Lord to help us. And I want you to note as we're reading here how many times the prophet Isaiah is mentioned. You don't think he's important? Wow. Here it comes. Listen to this. 2 Kings 20, verse 1. <clears throat> Excuse me. In those days, Hezekiah was sick and near death. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, went to him and said to him, went to him and said to him, uh, Thus says the Lord, set your house in order, for you shall die and not live. You're going to die and not live. <laughs> then he turned his face toward the wall and prayed to the Lord, saying, Remember now, O Lord, I pray, how I, have, how I have walked before you in truth and with a loyal heart, and have done what was good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. And it happened before Isaiah had gone out into the middle court that the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Return and tell Hezekiah, the leader of my people, Thus says the Lord, the God of David, your father, <clears throat> excuse me, I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. Surely I will heal you. On the third day, you shall go up to the house of the Lord, and I will add to your days 15 years. I will deliver you in this city from the hand of the king of Assyria, and I will defend this city for my own sake and for the sake of my servant David. Then Isaiah, amazing, huh? Said, take a lump of figs. So they took and laid it on the boil, and he recovered. And Hezekiah said to Isaiah, What is the sign that the Lord will heal me, and that I shall go up to the house of the Lord the third day? Then Isaiah said, This is the sign to you from the Lord, that the Lord will do the thing which he has spoken. Shall the shadow go forward ten degrees, or go backward ten degrees? And Hezekiah answered, It's an easy thing for the shadow to go down ten degrees. No, but let the shadow go backward ten degrees. In other words, he's asking for more time, more time on the clock. Anyway, so Isaiah, verse 11, the prophet cried out to the Lord, and he brought the shadow 10 degrees backward by which it had gone down on the sundial of Ahaz. Pray with me, would you? Lord, we need your help to study the scriptures and to hear from you by your spirit. And we pray, Lord, that this would be just more than studying facts or history, although we need to know that, but that you'd knit these truths to our heart by your spirit. And then, Lord, give us the resource and ability to go and love hurting and dying world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So what's this all about? Well, we are in um, the uh, last period uh, of the kings in which Isaiah prophesied. Remember, he prophesied during the reigns of these kings of the southern kingdom, Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and now Hezekiah, Hezekiah. And I think if you get this, I think if you get this, you're going to do something in your heart. You're studying. You're going to um, uh, uh, put an anchor right in the middle of your heart about what the Old Testament is about. It's going to be able to orient you and steady you as you study the Old Testament. You're going to be able to look back 
to what's come before the Old Testament and kind of understand or understand, and then look forward to what's coming in the Old Testament and understand, and then, of course, looking forward to the ultimate fulfillment of the things that Isaiah talks about, the coming of Jesus Christ our Lord. In other words, you're going to see these stories right here are in three places in the Bible. They're important. They orient your heart to the message of redemption. These orient our hearts to the message of redemption. We also said that they give us a glimpse into the heart and mind of the Lord and what he cares about and what he judges and what he doesn't like. And we get to know our Lord more by studying these scriptures. Remember that? Also, we learn prophecy. We learn prophecy. And learning prophecy does something great to your heart. It gives us hope And oh, do we need hope in these times. We need hope. And so it does a lot more. I've said it the last two uh, times we've been together. These are important scriptures. So here you go. You got this guy, this king. His name is Hezekiah, the King Hezekiah. He's the last king, again, during which Isaiah prophesies, okay? And what you probably need to know is because of verse 6 here, And I will add to your days 15 years. We know that Hezekiah died in 686 B.C. That's important. You need to write that down. We know that Hezekiah died in 686 B.C. And we know, listen to this, that the Assyrians came down to the walls of Jerusalem in 701 B.C. How many years did the Lord give Hezekiah here, around 15. So most people believe this chapter, which is very important to know, took place sometime 702, 703, 704 BC, and even some for other reasons I won't go into tonight, uh, go all the way up to 712 BC. But what I'm trying to tell you is that this chapter comes before the Assyrians got down to the walls of Jerusalem, which happened already in our reading of the story. Get it? Are you guys tracking with me? Everybody out there tracking with me? Okay, so in those days, Hezekiah was sick. He was very sick, and he was near death. He was near death. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Azat, went to him and said, Thus says the Lord, set your house in order, for you shall die and not live. Can you imagine getting that... um, Uh, that prophecy? Can you imagine getting the prophecy of Isaiah uh, that you're going to die and not live? You're going to die. Guess what this guy did or was uh, supposed to do? He didn't do it all, but guess what he was supposed to do? He was supposed to set his house in order. You see, the Lord's telling us and telling you and telling me and telling us again, we only have one chance here on the earth. The Bible tells us it's appointed to a a man once to die and then the judgment. You don't go to some place called purgatory or any place like that. You go, you're appointed once to die and then the judgment comes. There's no second chances, but there's plenty of second chances while we're here on earth, right? And what the scriptures are telling Hezekiah, and it's also telling us this side of the cross, is that we are to be people who set our house in order. In other words, if you have said to yourself, yeah, yeah, I want to get right with God someday when I get older or 
um, you know, have done this in my career or done that in my career or sowed some wild oats or whatever you say or whatever we say to ourselves, the Bible tells us that today is the day of salvation. Today is the day. We have no idea what's going to happen when we're done here. We might walk off the curb, God forbid, and get hit by a bus. We don't want that to happen, but that's a real possibility. And here, the, the prophet says, hey, when you know you're about ready to die, set your house in order. And here's the thing. Unless the Lord comes back first, I got news for all of us watching this. We're all going to die unless the Lord comes back first. So what we should do is set our house in order. And the number one thing, the number one and greatest need, the number one and greatest need of all of our lives is to have our sins to give, forgiven, excuse me, and to be set back with God, reconciled back to God. And that only comes through Jesus Christ. Well, verse 2 goes on and it says, like all of us would do, if you got some news like that today, what would you do? You'd turn your face toward the wall and pray to the Lord. You'd turn your face toward the Lord. You'd pray. You'd go to the Lord saying, remember now, O Lord, I pray. Now I have walked before you in truth and with a loyal heart and have done what was good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. Now, some people get uncomfortable with these prayers of Hezekiah. Why? Because he's praying according to his own righteousness. I've been such a loyal person. I've done what was good in your sight. But you've got to remember, they lived according to the old covenant. Do good, get blessed. We live according to the new covenant. We've been blessed. Now we get to do good. You see the difference? And so it's not that strange that he would pray this way. And he says, it says here that Hezekiah wept bitterly. Of course he did. And it happened before Isaiah had gone out into the middle court that the word of the Lord came to him and said, hey, go back, go back. God said to Isaiah, go back. Tell Hezekiah, the leader of my people, thus says the Lord, the God of David, your father, I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. Surely I will heal you. I've listened to you. The Lord hears our prayers. Do you get that? I think sometimes we pray and pray and pray and don't understand or know that the Lord is hearing our prayers. He hears our prayers. I've seen your tears. Surely I will heal you. And on the third day, you shall go up to the house of the Lord. The third day, of course, the third day. And I will add to your days 15 years. <laughs> I will deliver you in this city from the hand of the king of Assyria. You understand now why I oriented you the way I did before we read this chapter? This happens before the Assyrians come down to the walls of Jerusalem. You get it right there in verse 6. Everybody understand? Good. I'll deliver you in this city from the hand of the king of Assyria. And we just read, he did, before we started. We, the angel came and uh, 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 the angel of the Lord came and killed in the camp, the Assyrians, and they went back home, right? And I will defend this city. Why would God defend this city? Well, he tells you, for my own sake and for the sake of my servant, David. Now, you must know by now, if you've been traveling with us, if you don't know 2 Samuel 7, go back and look at that. God made an eternal covenant with his, uh, uh, with his servant David that uh, somebody from the house of David would be on the throne of uh, Judah uh, for eternity, right? And we see, the far we see that in the near fulfillment all throughout the Kings and the Chronicles, but we see it in the far fulfillment in Jesus Christ. And we've talked about that on many of occasions because Jesus is from the house of Judah. Well, verse 7 then Isaiah said, take a lump of figs. 
So they took it and laid it on the boil, and he recovered. Did the figs heal him? No, the figs didn't heal him. God healed them. God healed him, and maybe some people believe this was medicine. God can heal through medicine. But some people believe that this was just a point of contact with the person. Nevertheless, either way, God is the one who healed, and he recovered. Could you imagine? Can you imagine getting a second chance of 15 years? How you would feel? Folks, think about it in your life. I, I can think about it in my life. Some of this, the stuff I've done in my life, He's given me second chance and third chance and 50th chance and 500th chance and on and on and on I could go. Some of the things I've done, so stupid and so dumb, he's given me chance after chance. What do we do with the time we're given? Are we good stewards of what God's given us? Are we redeeming the time, not wasting the time, not spending the time? Are we redeeming the time? Here, look what we're going to uh, learn what the king does. Verse 8, and Hezekiah said to Isaiah, there it is again. It's just over and over. What's the sign that the Lord will heal me and that I shall go up to the house of the Lord the third day? Some see this as um, uh, lack of faith, but others see this as being very uh, wonderfully sensitive to other people. How perfect is this in this time? Because he was sick. And he was wondering if he was well enough to go see the people of God. Oh, we'll talk about that later. But here he said, well, give me a sign so that I know that I'm okay, that I can go up to the house of the Lord and there will be people around. He doesn't say that, but that's what he's thinking. And then Isaiah said, verse 9, this is the sign to you from the Lord, that the Lord will do the thing which he has spoken. Shall the shadow go forward 10 degrees or go backward 10 degrees? And Hezekiah answered, well, it's an easy thing for the shadow to go down 10 degrees. No, but let the shadow go backward 10 degrees. In other words, if it goes back more time, instead of being 3 o'clock, make it 2.50. Get it? Well, here, uh, Isaiah, in verse 11, the prophet cried out to the Lord, and he brought the shadow 10 degrees backwards, uh, by which it had gone down on the sundial of Ahaz. Now, how did he do that miracle? I have no idea. None. I have no idea. And yet, I believe that the Lord did it. The Lord did it. He gave him a sign. And you see throughout these, just these first chapters, or these first uh, verses, can you see the grace and mercy of our Lord in the Old Testament, folks? Chance after chance. Time after time. Well, look into verse 12. At that time... Uh, this guy named Bedrock Baladin, the son of Baladin, king of Babylon. Now remember, folks, if you've been traveling with us, this is so important that you write these dates down. If you do, it'll make this uh, piece of scripture pop out of the book for you. We are at the point of around 702-703 B.C. The invasion of Assyria, or, uh, Assyria into the northern kingdom already happened, 722 B.C., in 701 B.C., the same army, the Assyrian army, not the Babylonian army, the Assyrian army is going to come right up to the walls of Jerusalem, but they were going to be kicked out. We read how? The angel of the Lord, remember? And in 586 B.C., 586, Babylon is going to take out the southern kingdom of Judah. Listen, listen, that's a hundred 
I can't do my math, but 114 years away. Are you catching that? It's 114 years away from what's happening in this history right here. But Babylon and Assyria are fighting for dominance in the Euphrates River area. And Assyria is the power, and Babylon is searching for treaties and uh, members to come into their uh, alliances. You get it? So that they can be stronger than the Assyrians. And so uh, the king of Babylon sends letters and a present to Hezekiah. For he heard that Hezekiah had been sick. And Hezekiah was attentive to them and showed them. Listen to this. He showed them all the house of, circle it, circle it, circle it, his treasures. Circle that. The silver and gold, the spices and precious ointment, and all his armory, all that was found among his treasures, there was nothing in his house or in all his dominion that Hezekiah did not show them. Then Isaiah the prophet went to King Hezekiah and said to him, do you think probably the Lord had already revealed what was going on with Hezekiah to Isaiah? And yet Isaiah asked this question to Hezekiah. What did these men say to you or say? And from where did they come to you? So Hezekiah said they came from a far country, from Babylon. And he said, well, what have they seen in your house? So Hezekiah answered, they've seen all that is in my house. There's nothing among my treasures that I haven't shown them. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, hear the word of the Lord. This was pretty decisive. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and what your fathers have accumulated into this day. Listen, listen, shall be carried to Babylon. That's going to happen in 586 BC, a hundred and some years later. Here, Isaiah says, you're going to be carried to Babylon and nothing shall be left. Now that's an astounding prophecy because the Babylonians aren't the dominant figure of the world right now. The Assyrians are. You get it? Babylon? Why not Syria, he might be saying. Well, anyway, nothing shall be left, says the Lord, and they shall take away some of your sons who will descend from you, whom you will beget, and they shall be eunuchs in the place of the king of Babylon. Now, folks, you're going to see the Babylonian captivity and exile, the ripping out of the people from Judah, in 2 Kings 24. We'll get there next week. And also in 2 Kings 25. But did you know that Daniel and his friends are part of that captivity. And so this verse right here, I don't think it says it in Daniel. Maybe it does, but uh, this verse right here gives credence to the fact that many people believe not only were Daniel and his friends taken to Babylon, they were made eunuchs. They were made eunuchs. So Hezekiah, verse 19, said to Isaiah, the word of the Lord which you have spoken is good. Isn't that weird? For he said, will there not be peace and truth at least in my days? See, something's gone wrong here. Isn't that a weird thing to say by Hezekiah? He's thinking of himself here. So if you go back, remember, he gets an extra 15 years. An extra 15 years. What are you going to do? You get to that crossroads in your life. You get to that crossroads in your life where you're either going to remain in repentance and walk with the Lord, or you're going to go off the rails and do your own thing. Here he gets 15 more years, and automatically, listen to what comes in. Pride. Do you realize as the Babylonian envoy gets there, he never prays about what to do? He doesn't pray. 
But what he does is he's like, well, now I can use my human ingenuity and my mind and I'm thinking I should make a pact with these guys because the Assyrians are rough and tough. So he says, hey, come into the house of the Lord and look at all our treasures. He, in fact, uh, lets the enemy into the house of God. He lets the enemy into his house. Listen, the enemy gets one little foothold in our life. And the next thing you know, your whole life is being carried off to Babylon. Here he lets him do that. And he brings them into the house of God. And I want you to notice something. He says, these are my treasures. He says those are his treasures, it says. You catch that? When we start to be successful in some of our ministries, and we forget to pray, and then we start saying the stuff that we, we're doing and we have and we're working on is my ministry... Man, we're treading on thin ice. I'm just going to say it. I'll get in trouble for this. This is out on the airwaves. I, I just got to tell you, uh, I have friends that do this, and I, I just say, man, watch it. I, I see a lot of people in their websites or their ministries are like named after themselves. The Tim Green Ministries. And I get it. People write books and, you know, they're big-time speakers, not making fun of them. They're good speakers. And they start to go around and they have, and then they start to name their ministries after themselves. And I'm thinking to myself, whoo, that's not really your ministry. It's not my ministry here. It's the Lord's ministry. And it's our fellowship. And we're just under, uh, under shepherds serving the Lord and serving you. And here he says it's his treasures, the silver and gold. And he just lets the enemy come right in. Then Isaiah the prophet goes to King Hezekiah and says to him, what do these men say? He's clueless. He's clueless. And at the end, what is Hezekiah thinking about? What's Hezekiah thinking about? Hezekiah is thinking of himself. Now let me just finish this out and we're going to pop over to Isaiah real quick. Verse 20. Now the rest of the acts of Hezekiah, all his might and how he made a pool and a tunnel and brought water into the city, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? So Hezekiah rested with his fathers, then Manasseh his son rested in his place. Well, don't, don't blow by this. Don't blow by this. See, what happened was Hezekiah, they had a siege on Jerusalem. You catching that? You catching what happened was uh, the Assyrians came down and sieged Jerusalem and tried to squeeze them out. Well, what did Hezekiah do? Well, Hezekiah made tunnels. He made these several feet wide by several feet high tunnels in which he could move water underground through the city. And it helped them to survive. And you know what's so fantastic about this? Until 1880... This came under a lot of scrutiny, a lot of scrutiny. And in 1880, right under the uh, city of Jerusalem, under the city of David, which is right outside the city walls today, <clears throat> they found the tunnels. 1880, they found the tunnels. And guess what can happen today? You can walk through them. In fact, the time we went to Israel last, we all walked through them. And uh, Lord willing, if we go again, we'll walk through them again. Hezekiah made these tunnels. So there again, the Bible's proven right. Now listen, turn with me to Isaiah chapter 38. Isaiah chapter 38. Verse 
These are important chapters, folks. <clears throat> I should have had you keep your finger. Why don't you do this? Why don't you all put your finger in uh, chapter 20 of 2 Kings just for a minute and look at Isaiah 38. This is how fast we're going to cover two chapters. Watch this. Watch what we're going to do. This is going to be tremendous. This will be the quickest time in the history of Calvary Chapel, South Pittsburgh, that we've went th gone through two, two chapters this quickly. Okay, look at Isaiah 38. Okay, Isaiah 38. Read the caption if it's in your Bible. It's Hezekiah's life is extended. It's the exact same account that we just read about Hezekiah except for one difference. He writes down and records the prayers that Hezekiah made when he learned he was going to die. Okay? Now do with me an, uh, another favor. Turn back to Isaiah 36. Isaiah 36. Isaiah 36 is almost word for word exactly 2 Kings 18. Catch this. Isaiah 36 is when uh, the king uh, of Assyria came up against Jerusalem. And he went and talked to, with his, or he had his cabinet members go and talk with the representatives from King Hezekiah, and they tried to scare the people of Israel or Judah. Remember that? Okay, that takes place in 2 Kings 18. It's recounted in Isaiah 36. Isn't that fascinating? Fascinating, right? Well, it is to me. <laughs> okay, go to chapter 37. Chapter 37 is the exact same as 2 Kings 19. You could just keep it, your finger there. 2 Kings 19 is when King Hezekiah heard that um, uh, the king of Assyria was going to come against him. Isaiah the prophet went in and said, don't worry, there's going to be a day of trouble, but you're going to be saved from that invasion. Okay? Okay, guess what? Isaiah 37 is exactly 2 Kings 19. Hey, we just covered two chapters. How about that? And now we go, it's, 37's long too, people. But anyway, now we go to Isaiah 38, because I want to show you something. I'll just read you the first line of Isaiah 38, verse 1. In those days, Hezekiah was sick and near death. Sound familiar? Yeah, it's, it's the exact same recounting. And he, remember down in verse 6, God said that he will de deliver you... Hezekiah and the city from the hand of Assyria, and I'll defend this city. And this is the sign, remember that, the shadow on the sundial, 10 degrees backwards, so the sun turned 10 degrees backward. Now verse 9, that's where I want you to go. Isaiah 38, verse 9. This is the writing of Hezekiah, king of Judah, when he had been sick and recovered from his sickness. In other words, he was writing out his prayers after he recovered. He, he's recounting what he prayed. And Isaiah then is telling this to us under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Let's read that. I said, verse 10, in the prime of my life, I shall go to the gates of Sheol, the grave, the place of the dead. I'm deprived of the remainder of my years, I said. I shall not see Yah, the Lord, in the land of the living. I shall observe man no more. Now remember, this is the Old Testament. They were much more cloudy with respect to what happened in the afterlife, what happened after you died. Of course they were. They had no real clear or clearer understanding of what was going to happen. So they didn't know as much as we know on this side of the cross with the New Testament, right? 
And so you would expect him to be writing things like this. He was like David. David was like that. They knew that the, the Lord was on the other side, but they didn't know how or why that was going to happen. You get it? You can look at Psalm 139.8. Jot that down. Psalm 139.8. That'll help you in your studies. Well, here he says, The Lord in the land of the living, I shall observe man no more. I'm going to die among the inhabitants. My lifespan is gone, taken from me like a shepherd's tent, of course. And he goes down and he, he laments what's happening. And he says, O oh Lord, in verse 14, I'm oppressed. He has this fear of death. You could look in Hebrews 2, verses 14 and 15. Those who are without Christ have a fear of death. Jesus took the sting out of death for us, 1 Corinthians 15, so that we don't have to fear death anymore. Oh, we don't want to die like the physical part. We don't want to go through the physical stuff. I would hate to fall out of a plane, wouldn't you? And yet, at the end of that, guess what? I know, and it's not because of some uh, superior way, but I know, and so do you, if you read the Bible, why people who are going to heaven are going to heaven. They've placed their trust in Jesus They've surrendered their life to him. They're counting on his finished work at the cross and his resurrection for a reservation in heaven. The Holy Spirit is, in fact, a down payment that comes into our life, guaranteeing our spot or our place in heaven to be with him forever, to worship and reign with him in the kingdom. Isn't that beautiful? We don't have to be afraid of what's on the other side. Praise the Lord for that. Well, he goes on and uh, says this in verse 15. What shall I say? He has both spoken to me and he himself has done it. I will walk carefully all my years in the bitterness of my soul. He's honest. He's honest. He, he, he's bitter. Oh, Lord, by these things men live, and in all these things is the life of my spirit. So you'll restore me and make me live. Indeed, it was for my own peace that I had great bitterness. He admits it. He was enjoying his bitterness because he had to die. But you have lovingly delivered my... Look, look. There, he knew something. It was cloudy for them. But they knew something. You have uh, lovingly delivered my soul from the pit of corruption. Why? Why would uh, uh, God be able to do that for him or for any of us? The next verse tells you. For you have cast all my sins behind your back. That's what he's done for you. He's All your sins, all the requirements were nailed to the cross... Those have been paid for, and he remembers them no more. Praise the Lord for us. And Sheol can't thank you. Death can't praise you, etc. You could keep reading. Verse 20 now, the Lord was ready to save me. Therefore, we will sing my songs with stringed instruments all the days of our lives in the house of the Lord. When you know you've been saved, folks, guess what it does for you? It puts a song in your mouth, a joy in your heart. You've been saved what have we been saved from? We've been saved from eternal separation from God, our sins, and been placed in the family of God as adopt, adopted sons and daughters, a child of the king, redeemed, blood-bought, forgiven, raised to new life, given all the riches of grace forevermore. That's us. We have the Lord himself. He's our portion. How could we not sing? In fact, some people look at this prayer and they get kind of mm, uh, critical of the prayer. Critical of the prayer. They think, well, my goodness, that's not a very faithful prayer. 
But you know what? God never makes mention of how appropriate or inappropriate this prayer was or is. You know, what he's, you know what I think the Lord's saying? Thank you that you're finally remembering to come back to me. He prayed. He prayed. And even though some of the things weren't exactly right or not right or whatever, he prayed and he trusted. He's the only king in First or Second Kings that ever prays for healing. He's the only one. He's the only one that does that. And look how it ends up in verse 21. Now Isaiah had said, let them take a lump of figs and apply it as a poultice. You know that story already, right? It goes back to the same story. And Hezekiah said, what is the sign that I'll show go up to the house? Now look, Isaiah 39. Ready? How quick is this? Nobody ever accused me of going long again. How quick is this? Isaiah 39, the Babylonian envoy. At that time, this king, the son of Baladan, king of Babylon, sent letters, goes over there. Same thing happens. Verse 4, Hezekiah answered, they have seen all that is in my house. Remember? And then Isaiah says to Hezekiah, hear the word of the Lord of hosts. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and what your fathers have accumulated until this day shall be carried to Babylon. You know that's going to be fulfilled or we're going to see it in 2 Kings 24 and 2 Kings 25. And then in verse 7, it said, they'll take away some of your sons. Day, uh, did I say David last time? Anyway, it's Daniel, Daniel uh, and his friends, Daniel 1, 1 through 4. So guess what we just did? We just did four chapters of the book of Isaiah in about five minutes. There's a, it's a miracle. Well, you know what else happens right here, though? This is the shift in the book. The book is divided, chapters 1 through 39, then 40 through 66. 1 through 39 is more about judgment that's coming against God's people. 40 through 66 is more about the comfort that God gives to his people. And at the end here, what I want you to see is these stories now have been recounted in the Old Testament already in 2 Kings in 2 Chronicles and in Isaiah, they're important for our learning and story, for our knowing and building us up in the faith. Now turn back with me to 2 Kings, would you please? Look what happens. We'll close out with this. Hezekiah dies, so now all the people that Isaiah has been prophesying to are gone. And in comes another king. We have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight more kings to go until the end of this book in 2 Kings. Eight more kings from the southern kingdom, the, tri or the kingdom of Judah, okay? We're not going to go through them all tonight. Here we go. We're going to tackle two more, okay? Manasseh. Verse, or chapter 21 of 2 Kings, verse 1. He was 12 years old when he became king, and he reigned 55 years in Jerusalem. Why? Only talking about Jerusalem now. We're not talking about the north. They're gone. They've been ripped out. He did evil in the sight of the Lord. Now, I want you to see how bad it got in Judah. This is terrible. This is as bad as it gets. We say that almost every week as we study the kings, but this is as bad as it gets for all time, forever, in Judah, right? As, as far as the Bible goes. In verse 2, he did evil uh, according to the abomination of the nations whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. For he rebuilt the high places which Hezekiah his father had destroyed. 
In other words, this wasn't just forgetfulness or kind of lackadaisical. He uh, purposely, with malice, thought out, reversed what his father had done. This is evil stuff. He raised up altars for Baal. Remember, that was the first part of these books, was just trying to get Baal out of their country, right? The, 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 uh, those wooden images, made woman, wooden images as Ahab, king of Israel, had. Do you understand now? They just crossed over. We're in Judah, and he said Ahab, king of Israel, because Ahab, who was he married to? Jezebel. And that, they were really rough and uh, did bad things, had done. And he worshipped all the host of heaven and served them. He worshipped the stars. God said, don't do that. Get away from the horoscopes and all that sort of thing. Don't worship the stars. Worship the one who created the stars. He also built altars in the house of the Lord, of which the Lord had said, in Jerusalem, I will put my name. And he built altars for all the host of heaven in the two courts of the house of the Lord. This is bad stuff. In fact, in Deuteronomy 4, 25 and 28, you can go there later. I won't turn there. But the Lord says in Deuteronomy, the recounting of the law, you remember this? The recounting of the law. In Deuteronomy 4, he says that the proper punishment for idolatry is to be removed from the land of promise. So God has justice on his side here. Well, look how it keeps going and it gets really bad. Verse 6, also, he made his son, his son. He sacrificed his own son, people practiced soothsaying and witchcraft and consulted spiritists, mediums, and did evil in the sight of the Lord, provoked him to anger. He even set, look at this, he even set a carved image of Asherah that he had made, that he had made, and he set it in the house of which the Lord had said to David and to Solomon his son, in this house and in Jerusalem, which I have chosen out of all the tribes, I will put my name forever and I will not make the feet of Israel wander any more from the land which I gave their fathers. Only if they are careful to do according to all that I have commanded them and according to all the law that my servant Moses commanded them. In other words, they set up a Canaanite goddess, the goddess of fertility. Who is the one who handles fertility? Life, the Lord himself. But they set up a Canaanite goddess which meant if he set up a Canaanite goddess, guess what they were practicing as part of their worship right in the house of the Lord? Prostitution. That's what they were practicing in and out of there. This is evil stuff. Well, that's uh, there in the house of the Lord. Uh, I read that to you. Then if you drop down, uh, verse 9, but they paid no attention uh, to what the Lord said or what the Lord had commanded. or they, they paid no attention. That's us, America. Some people say, man, why do you, why do you, you know, just preach the word of God and you, you, know, you don't have some videos up on the screen or you know, cute little stories or all that sort of thing. And I'm not making fun of anybody else or what anybody else is doing. And yet, you, you, you know what Americans, even in the church, want to do? Not pay attention not pay attention. What heals? What saves? What brings life? God uses the Word of God to bring life. And so what should we about? Teaching and preaching the Word of God, serving together, praying together, and breaking bread together. It's not difficult and it's not hard. 
in, in the sense that God tells what the, the pattern of the church should be in Acts 2.42. And it's those things. It's not the rock walls and the, the mist or the, the funny jokes by the pastor and the beds on stage and, uh, you know, the props upstage. No, no, it's not about that. It's about the word of the Lord that lasts forever. It's the thing that you can trust, folks. And here it said they paid no attention. And that hurts my heart. And I don't want us to not pay attention. I want us to pay attention because that's where life is. But they didn't pay attention. And Manasseh seduced them to do more evil than the nations whom the Lord had destroyed before the children of Israel. Now look at this. Here it comes. Chapter, or excuse me, verse 10 through the end. God uh, promotes or promises judgment here against Judah. He goes, oh my. It's come to this, huh, the Lord says. And he spoke by his servant. What, what, who did he speak through? The prophets, saying, verse 11, because Manasseh, king of Judah, has done these abominations, he's acted more wickedly than all the Amorites, and they were bad in the Old Testament, who were before him. And he has also made Judah sin with his idols. Therefore, says the Lord God of Israel, behold, I am bringing such calamity upon Jerusalem and Judah that whoever hears of it, both his ears will tingle. I mean, that's really bad. It's going to be tough. And I will stretch over Jerusalem the measuring line of Samaria. In other words, the way I judge Samaria, Samaria, the north, I'm going to judge Judah. And the plummet of the house of Ahab. I'll wipe Jerusalem as one wipes a dish, wiping it and turning it upside down. So I will forsake the remnant of my inheritance, deliver them into the hand of their enemies, and they shall become victims of plunder to all their enemies, because they have done evil in my sight and have provoked me to anger uh, since the day their fathers came out of Egypt, even to this day. Moreover, Manasseh shed very much innocent blood. He had state-sponsored killing, folks, of innocent people. State-sponsored killing, kingdom killing of innocent people till he had filled Jerusalem from one end to another besides his sin by which he made Judah sin and doing evil in the sight of the Lord. Now the rest of the acts of Manasseh, all that he did and the sin that he committed, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? So Manasseh rested with his fathers and was buried in the garden of his own house in the garden of Uzzah. Then his son Amon reigned in his place. Now, here's a few things I need to fill you in on on Manasseh. You need to know this. Do you know in Hebrews 11.37, it talks about how some of the prophets suffered for the faith. And it actually says sawn in half, but it doesn't tell you who was sawn in half. Okay, extra biblical tradition says this king, Manasseh, had Isaiah sawn in half. That's this king. Here's what else um, uh, you should probably know, just so you know the rest of the story. In 2 Chronicles 33, 11 through 9, or 11 through 19, guess what Manasseh does here at the end of his life? It doesn't tell you here in the Kings. It tells you in the Chronicles. Guess what he does? He repents. He cries out to the Lord. I'm actually going to turn there, 2 Chronicles 33. 2 Chronicles 33, if you want to join me, uh, that'll be good. I, I just want to show you, 2 Chronicles 33, verse 11, is where we start. Verse 11, Therefore the Lord brought upon them the captains of the army of the king of Assyria, who took Manasseh with hooks, bound him with fetters, and carried him off to Babylon. 
Now, when he was in affliction, he implored the Lord his God and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers and prayed to him and he received his entreaty, heard his supplications and brought him back to Jerusalem into his kingdom. Then Manasseh uh, knew that he, the Lord was God. After this, he built a wall outside the city of David. Of course, he wanted to fortify the wall so enemies couldn't get in, right? He did some good things. And he raised it to a great height. Then he put military captains in the fortified cities of Judah. Look, 15, he took away the foreign gods and the idol from the house of the Lord and all the altars that he had built in the mount of the house of the Lord and in Jerusalem. And he cast them out of the city. He also repaired the altar of the Lord, sacrificed peace offerings, thank offerings, commanded Judah to serve the Lord God. Nevertheless, the people still sacrificed on the high places, but only to the Lord their God. Now, here's what I want you to see. It was great that Manasseh repented, but listen, he did it in such a way that, uh, uh, that his, the consequences of his sins still remained, and it was too late for the nation. It was too late for the nation, folks. We have to be really, really, really careful about wondering why, uh, after we ask for forgiveness, why things don't, quote-unquote, get better why don't things get better? Well, that's because sometimes the consequences of your sin are still going to take place even though you're still forgiven. I always get the, give the example. If I went down to the bar and drank 15 beers, got in the car and prayed to the Lord, okay, Lord, I'm going to drive, but I want you to keep me and everybody else safe. And then I go out and hurt myself and hurt somebody else. That's not God's fault. That's not God's fault. That's my fault. Right? And here he did a good thing by repenting, but it was too late. And it's a, a great warning to us. Listen to this, folks. It's a great warning to us. You see, Lord has a program, and he's going to get his program done with or without us. Of course, he wants to do it with you. He wants you to walk in his ways and according to his ways, and there's plenty of grace and mercy and forgiveness on the way. But listen, we're walking as ambassadors of Jesus Christ. We're walking as his ambassadors. We are to live a life that's worthy of a kingdom kid, of a prince or a princess. Not so that we earn our way to heaven, but now that we have received the grace of God, oh Lord, now that we've received the grace of God, we want to walk in righteousness and light, not darkness, so that others who are watching us, look, don't fall by the wayside. That's an unbelievable lesson for me as a dad, as a husband. Listen, I'm not into anything anybody would consider dirty or diabolical. And yet I wonder if just some of the things that I spend my time on is useless and not profitable for the Lord and for my family. And my family's watching. And I don't want to lead them anywhere that the Lord doesn't want them to go. So we have to be careful, don't we? We must be careful. Well, just to finish off, and then we're going to have the worship team come, just a few more chapters. The next king that comes in is now the son of Manasseh. He's 22 years old, uh, verse 19 of 2 Kings uh, 21, when he became king and he reigned two years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was, whatever that is, Meshulameth, the daughter of Haraz of Jotba, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord, as his father Manasseh had done. So he walked in all the ways that his father had walked. Oh, Lord, help me. I want my kids to be able to say they walked in the ways their father walked. 
but they weren't this way. They were the ways of the Lord. And he served the idols that his father had served and worshiped them. And he forsook the Lord God of his fathers and didn't walk in the way of the Lord. I mean, even thinking about idols, do I love things more than I love the Lord? And do my kids love those uh, things too? Well, then, verse 23, then the servants of Ammon conspired against him and killed the king in his own house. But the people of the land executed all those who had conspired against King Ammon. And then the people of the land made his son Josiah king in his place. Now the rest of the acts of Ammon, which he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Judah? And he was buried in his tomb in the Garden of Uzzah. Then Josiah, his son, reigned in his place. His son, Josiah, reigned in his place. Well, these people who actually executed the servants, who executed the king, if you can follow that, these servants shouldn't have killed the Lord's anointed, the king of Judah. And yet they were smart enough to do what? Keep somebody, Josiah, who was in the line of Judah because of the promises. So thank goodness for that. And next week, as we continue on, we're going to uh, go on in the life of Josiah, the life of Josiah. And we now have uh, five kings left until the end of this book. And what do we need to say as we close out? It's this, a couple things as we close out. What are we going to do with the second chance that God gives us? or the third chance, or the sixth chance, or the 106th chance, or whatever. What are we going to do with the life that we have until the end? Are we going to coast and be presumptuous and not depend upon the Lord? Or are we going to live our lives radically for the Lord? See, Hezekiah's life uh, teaches us that. Don't you, don't we, don't I, when we get to the Lord, want to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. Oh, that Tim, oh, that Jan, oh, that person, oh, that Bill. They laid it all out for my glory. They weren't perfect. They didn't do everything perfect. But they loved and they forgave and they shared and they helped. Oh, man, I want that in my life. Of Holy Spirit, do that in my life. And then, yes, like Manasseh, I don't want to waste the beginning of my life. I don't want to waste the beginning. We can repent at the end, and that's fine. But as people are looking uh, at me or at you or at us as we're uh, with them just for a short time, are they seeing that the uh, one thing in my life that is greatest and best is that I want to spend time with the Lord? Is that what people see in your life? Do your kids see that? Do your friends see that? Oh, man. May we be people who are single-minded, as Paul speaks of. One thing we do, we press on towards the upward call of God in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Well, Lord, thank you so much for this word, and we ask, Lord, that you would do a mighty work in our hearts. Lord, you'd do a mighty work in our hearts as we've learned these scriptures here tonight and gone over them. I just pray, Lord, that you would bless and guide, and direct, and for anybody out here there who's never given their lives to you, Lord, I pray that they would tonight give their life to you. Others who have strayed from you, Lord, I pray they'd come back and turn to you, and we would turn to you and depend upon you. Help us, we pray, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.
So we're going to have the worship team come back and worship, and then we'll be back and uh, uh, close out. And uh, God bless you guys.